0: Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegaard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, the CEO of the world's largest vertically integrated cattle beef supply chain, which remains family owned. With that description, I could only be talking about the boss of Australian country choice, Anthony Lee. Welcome. You are on the grill with Beef Central. Thank you, Kerry. Nice to be here. Anthony, obviously born into this family business, but did you always want to be involved or was it more a natural and uh, inevitable process of evolution?
1: Yeah, I've lived it my whole life for as far back as I can remember, travelling around with my father on properties and bull sales. and. You know, from about 14, I started working Friday nights in the, in the meat work. So there was – my early years was always just a grounding in the business in, in various things. I, I worked my, right around the facility from about 14 through to when I left university on weekends and and holidays. And But I suppose there was a time there after I left uni where I just wanted to do something. I'd never done anything else. It had always been – with ACC and you know, with the I just, family. I
0: just to ask you that question because your father told me when he was young he wanted to be a surfer.
1: <laughs> oh, look, I share the passion for surfing and a heap of other sports, but I'm not sure I was ever going to be a professional <laughs> surfer. That was never on the radar. No. Kerry, I still love to have a wave though today. But
0: your father put you through the,
1: the whole supply chain. Absolutely. Like that was a critical piece to start from the bottom up.
0: Did he put you in the awful room as well? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, 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 in the slaughter floor, awful room, packing, you know, all of that was...
0: <laughs> what did you learn in the awful room apart from resilience? <laughs> I, yeah, well,
1: that's right. It, it just was an eye-opener that, as I say, now I appreciate it, what was learnt then. At the time, I probably was uh, wondering what the hell I was doing there, but, but now I look back and the knowledge that you learn at that grassroots level is absolutely critical for the job I do today.
0: So you went to University of Queensland and you did a business degree?
1: Yeah, yeah business, Majoring major, in? uh, international business and marketing. Uh-huh.
0: And then you travelled and spent a couple of years, I understand, in America?
1: Uh, no, well, firstly Europe and then in, into the States. I did four and a half years away and... Did all sorts of things, Kerry. I'm, I'm not sure it was complete um, career progression stuff. <laughs> However, but not just I thi-
0: on, not just on properties. I mean, no, not on farms, so, yeah.
1: no. But it was it was more sort of self development. You know, you had to turn up in a new country or a new place. You had to get a job. You had to, you know, meet people. You had to get accommodation, and it sort of taught you life skills. And uh, I, I look back on it really fondly. It was uh, it was certainly a good development.
0: Were well, you a skiing coach in... Switzerland or anything like no, that? No, really?
1: well, I did work in the ski fields. I was a I'm photographer sure you, at I'm the sure top of the did. gondola yes. and uh, it was the best money I ever made up there because oh, you had a couple oh. of hours work and you just got the mums and whatnot and you got them all locked away and took a heap of photos and then they paid an extraordinary amount of money. And, and the company would have been remarkably
0: <laughs> friendly, I suspect. <laughs> it,
1: yeah, yeah, no, it was good.
0: Now, you've taken over at one of the most critical moments in the company's history... You jettisoned a long-term and lucrative uh, contract with Coles. Remind our listeners, please, Anthony, of why a Australian Country Choice decided to go in a different direction.
1: Yeah, so I mean, we'd been with Coles for as long as I can remember, and it was a it was a successful partnership for many years. And we had done a our latest contract in in 2015 it was an evergreen contract, really. And new management came in from Coles and. It just wasn't working for for them, I suppose, and we went our, our separate ways. And it's not been a bad thing for us. I mean, nothing ever lasts forever. You've got to always evolve and adapt. Having a single customer at the scale that we were was always a bit of a risk. It's the easiest thing to, to do from customer management is to have one customer, but there is a, a lot of risk. So we've been through a fairly heavy transformation we've got a multiple of customers now but i think what it did it made you really look at your business and every facet of it and was it as efficient and you know ideally set up as it should be and i think it's a very healthy journey that you got to go through nothing lasts forever you got to be able to adapt and change and we have been through the biggest change and adaptation you could possibly ask for and very pleasingly our team has been very resilient and and on board and I think we're a far better business now because of it.
0: But it. It certainly was a big change. You had a vast number of cattle on 50 to 75-day 5 day feed uh, rations. Uh, and then suddenly you've got to sell completely different beef and construct yep. a different cattle growing program.
1: Yep. And look, our model's always been, you've, uh, my father would have talked about it, it's all about what the customer wants, all right? So the first thing for us was to understand what are our new customers' that we're going to engage with and then what do they want and then you back in the supply chain to suit that. So we, we had a, a sort of a vision that we wanted a retailer for X Percentage and we got Woolworths and then we wanted our longer fed customers and, and organic and, and try and still have that exclusive nature but with multiple customers. So we sort of went about and did that and then we've subsequently been back-ending. So we've, you know, changed our breeder herd to suit the, the mix of, of cattle types that we need. We've spent, you know, close to $100 million retrofitting the, the operation to be able to uh, cater for the new demand and needs. Um, massive herd changes, uh, infrastructure changes at feedlots and and in the meatworks. So what proportion of
0: your market now is export and what's domestic
1: yeah it's it's actually the flip so we were while we were dedicated to coals about sort of 25 percent of it went export back then because the australian consumer doesn't want every part of the animal so we were sort of selling on their behalf we're now flipped to more like being a 70 30 export which is probably more traditionally what the what the market is you're also into the wagyu game you mentioned
0: you changed your herd what convinced you that wagyu was the way to go because there was a headlong rush into it a few years back and it's still going on. What is it about Wagyu that attracts you?
1: Yeah, well, again, it was our customer demand. So that was the first yeah. thing. We had Jack's Creek, Rangers Valley, Stockyard, yeah. some reputable brands that we'd engaged in doing business with. So we wanted to underpin some of those brands with some of our supply chain. So, you know, that was the first thing. But what we've learned along the journey is because it's very different to, you know, your conventional cattle and it's not really the confirmation you're looking at it's what's going on inside there's a lot more detail that's required around the genetics and understanding every joining and and that's brought a rigor into our business that we we didn't have and it's it's um it's certainly been a refreshing change and i know our team been really bought into it but in terms of productivity and uh, fertility uh, benefits they are quite extraordinary animals i mean some of the some of the Genetics we bought out of the Snowies in, in Victoria and we brought them up to Orgothella and they haven't missed a beat. You know, it's quite a unique... And yet they hang over the the car, the, um, the hooks as the most superior carcasses we've got. So, um, yeah, they're, they're very interesting. Uh, you know, we don't want to move completely into them. You know, we're really after a balanced sort of portfolio of customers and, and cattle type. And so we'll have maybe sort of 30% of our herd being focused on that, but we'll still have a large percentage. So you have
0: some Angus in the background. Have there, some Angus, yeah. have
1: some, you know, our, our conventional Queensland crossbred for the Woolworths job and whatnot. Yeah, that
0: Wagyu influence is truly a remarkable story in terms of the quantity and lower mortality yes. rates and meat quality, which is most important, I guess.
1: Yeah, all of that. I mean, we've had, you know, something like 98% wet rebreed. So numbers that you just can't... Yeah. Fathom, and you actually have to have a double and triple look to make sure that they're actually right. It's, um, it's phenomenal.
0: So where are your markets now? You say you've flipped from 25% export to 75%. Yep. Where are your markets? I'm guessing uh, well, Asia is one of the most yep.
1: important. And yeah. Uh, I, I suppose the first thing also that we've done is our own beef brand. So something we haven't done, we've always been selling, but we've been selling, say, Coles or Woolworths yep. or you know, the, the customer's product. Whereas now we've actually got our own, so about 20 percent of, of the, or actually it's more like forty percent all up, but fifty percent of our own brand is produced and we're selling. Uh, a lot of that in, is into Asia, but you know the US are becoming a bigger and Canada are becoming a bigger market. Uh, we're looking certainly at the or into the EU market on a small scale, looking to grow that in the UK, Middle East. You know we've got we're fairly. Well spread. What where we don't have is China. We lost that, that license a couple of years back. And again, see, I look at that as a bit of a similar thing with the coal thing is you were quite reliant on them and, and you, it was a challenge to move away from them while you had them. But when you lose them, you have to go about redirecting your supply chain and trying to build new business. And that forced us into markets and, and customers that we probably wouldn't have otherwise got. And I think it's, again, made us a more resilient business. If ever we get China back... Yep. Then we will look to go back into it, but a far lesser percentage, and with the full knowledge that we may lose that again. So this is uh, the high end market you're at. Yes, middle to high end. Well, we, yes. We, I mean, we've got we've got an organic customer. Uh, we have then a lot of grain fed customers, longer fed. You know, the sort of five hundred day plus, three hundred and fifty day plus. You know, hundred and fifty day, hundred day down into the GfYG. Um, trade job. Can you get significant uh, movement into the American market? Yeah, more and more so. I think you got to get the appropriate channels right. Um, there's obviously a parochial nature with the US, but we are getting in there in a bigger and bigger uh, way.
0: Are the Americans at all following our trail into the Wagyu game or...?
1: Well, I think so. So yeah. I hear. I think that I've always had a bit of an issue with that. I think it's, you know, we've got a competitive advantage in Australia with our herd and we, we were managed, lucky enough to get some Japanese genetics and, you know, it's, it's, it's a niche product and it's got a point of difference and that's very difficult in the beef game to actually have a point of difference with other markets and, uh, you know, I think over time we're unfortunately going to lose that as more and more countries get into it.
0: What's the go with China? Do you negotiate with get your licence back there or...?
1: always looking at it. Um, it there was a bit of a flurry of activity you know a month or two ago where the government was getting us to sign a whole lot of paperwork and whatnot and you know you've seen wood and and, and barley and yeah. things starting to come back and and potentially be next oh, to be honest i'm not giving it a second thought until it yeah. happens and the
0: other problem area of course is the eu which we and we and we signed a free trade agreement with mm. the uk and they keep the same protocols as
1: they had when they were in the EU, which makes it almost impossible to export. Difficult, it. yeah. And there's a few things around land clearing and whatnot that we just need yes. to tidy up and get clear because that could have a... Yes. You know, when you think about land clearing, we've got our PMAVs locked in and, you know, you, you, my initial thought was, oh, we're fine, we've, we've got it, but it's, the, it's those Category X land where you can actually maintain regrowth. that They're saying, no, that is also considered deforestation. And that is a massive amount of country that if we had to be forced to allow everything to grow back in those in those category X land holdings, the devaluation of land value, but also the productivity loss is would be immense. And we just so we just need to really think carefully about our way through yes, this. Yes,
0: the the feel good factors are and coming across was what we call used to call non trade barriers, but uh, uh, yeah. Are they having more and more of
1: an impact around uh, the world uh, uh, but especially in Europe yeah, absolutely yeah. but I think what happens in Europe tends to flow through I mean this this whole environmental push is yeah. is, is here there's no doubt about it and whatever's happening in the in, the, in Europe who seems to be leading the way in this area it will flow through to to all markets.
0: So you're okay with the Australian government. Breaking off negotiations with yeah. the u k and not accepting those EU protocols for import yep. for importing beef into percent yeah. Yeah. yeah so that, that oh, look it's not done it's no. just
1: obviously they've they've drawn a line in the sand, and I think that's very hel- a healthy process yeah do you
0: see Asia as the the big market
1: in demand for protein uh, it? S- yes, it yeah. certainly is for that for us but yeah. i I'd like again like to think that we've got a balanced portfolio um as more i mean you know the Middle East is certainly of, of interest, and 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 the US is some is a market that I never want to, you know, always want to try and have some, some, um, you know, product going into that those areas.
0: I'm speaking with Anthony Lee. He's the CEO of Australian Country Choice. We'll be back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of RhinoGuard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against ammonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and RhinoGuard, available from your local vet today. For over 180 years,
1: Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to
0: specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available, subject to approval. Elders, for Australian agriculture. You're back on the grill with Beef Central. Our guest today, Anthony Lee, CEO of Australian Country Choice. Now, I'll ask you this question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Your meat work's that's, at that's Cannon Hill. Yeah. Your
1: Meatworks at Cannon Hill. Big site, big operation. Are you wedded to this site? Oh, uh, I love this site. You couldn't replicate it. So what we've got here is world class. Like, it really is an amazing facility. If you're here today, you wouldn't have smelt it. You know, it's very unique. And we take people through here every week, whether that's government, uh, industry um, or non-industry and just the general public. And there's never a person that steps out of this place that isn't, you know, really impressed by it. So... You know, can, can I say that you've done something, I think, I haven't said it myself yet, but you've done something Nick. You've actually built a viewing platform for visitors. Yeah, so we've got a spine through our factory that has viewing it, um, windows into every one of our production facilities, so we can take people in their planes, plain clothes, yeah. without disturbing production or the risk of cross-contamination, and take them through through the whole process. Um and as I say, everyone, even the people that are a bit concerned about a meat works and a slaughter floor and all those things, you'd be amazed at how long they can spend up there and once they actually get to see it, um, are really quite interested in, in how it works. And I always have, I've, I've always said I'd actually be very welcome to being not a shut-off industry to be actually able to open up what we do. Now, you've had a... Blue with the Brisbane City Council about some zoning issues
0: here. Is that ongoing, or has it been resolved? Or?
1: It, it, we're working through it. Working it's a, through it's it. a journey. I mean, for me, it's very simple. We're in an industrial area. It's zoned industrial. All we're doing is trying to uphold the integrity of the zoning, um, and it's not just for for um our business but there's a lot of heavy industry businesses in the australia trade coast and it needs to stay that way i mean what what other places got the port of brisbane set up like we have you know we've got the the um the airport the seaport and all this major industry in the area uh it's it's a it's it's absolutely brilliant we need to to look after it you were quoted as
0: saying once that if
1: push come to shove you would take your meatworks elsewhere and the 1200 jobs that go with it well only only because we're going to get forced out by you know bars and restaurants and uh, non competing non in you know compatible activities you know it's it's only out of force uh, we don't want to get we don't want to leave but if that happens around us we know that in time they say that it'll all we can all work together and it's all going to be good but we know in time that um, there will be issues coming at us from people that have forgot long forgotten who was here first and what the actual zoning of the area is, and they'll have an issue with it. Speaking of the abattoir, Anthony, um, it's becoming more and more automated, especially at the um, at the front end. I suspect. Um, yeah. Or the back end. I beg your pardon. Yeah, the back end. Yeah, we're still, you know, we're along. The holy grail is a fully automated system, but uh, and it's obviously being done with pigs and, and sheep and the like. Uh, cattle is a bit different with a lot more seeming everything's a bit different and and you know you cannot lose losing one percent yield you've you've done away with all your productivity gains trying to get rid of you know a a few people so the 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 ultimate is how do we get the the automation but not sacrifice uh yield artificial intelligence the most talked about topic of today is that playing any
0: part in the Beef processing business.
1: We do a lot of AI, but that's on properties, so <laughs> yes, we're we're, we're we're right into that. But I, I, look, I'm I'm not technologically that savvy, and yeah. so I I get a bit nervous about it all. Um, I'm sure I'm sure it'll play a part in some capacity, in some in some way, personally, and what we've seen here, it's not it's not here yet for I'm, us. I'm sure some eighteen or twenty year old yeah. walk into your office and tell that's you right. all about it. That's I. right.
0: So you've also made a
1: play in the goat game, which I thought was quite, can I say, brave of you? We have. Small stock, you know, yeah. we're, we've gone into. Or we're looking just a, a bit as a synergy for our cattle business. So where we've set it up is running on cattle country, but more suited to goats. So where there is browse opportunities and, you know, they just eat differently. So we've got the same amount of cattle in some of our country, but yet we've got, you know additional goats on there and, and and therefore more kilos coming off the same body of land and as as we move towards trying to feed 20 uh, 10 million people by 2050 we've got to keep thinking about how we become more and more efficient and we just see that working in synergistically with our with our cattle business and, and
0: other add-ons as well like exclusion fencing i suppose yeah all inevitable. of that and yeah. the,
1: the queensland government's been great and really supporting that and that is bringing back small stock into a, into queensland no doubt about it and not to mention the you know control of of dingoes and the like so yeah no it, it it's certainly interesting the other thing for us too is the the horizontal nature we're vertically integrated as a family we can ride out the shocks of the variation you get within a cattle and beef operation, but then if you're across proteins you've got further hedging um to be able to handle if well beef beef's too dear or well, potentially goat and sheep meat's cheaper and, you know, that whole thing, people still want to eat meat. They just move between the proteins. Yes.
0: What's your over overall view of our overseas markets or or should I say are you okay with the marketing of beef here and overseas? In other words, I'm asking you, do you think MLA is spending its money wisely?
1: I think um, Australia is in a really strong pro- place from our clean green image. I think we've really priced ourselves out of the market just th- naturally through the the price of cattle where it's gone, it's come back. And I think for me, it's it's educating the, the average consumer. I don't, when i talk to people i don't think anyone knows anything about meat processing and all the science and technology that goes into it i don't think anyone understands meat really and how it's what good looks like how do you look after it and so for me it's it's i don't see enough of the everyday person getting the information to be able to help them do a better job with meat which moves to my
0: next question brings it straight to it in fact I, I, and I know education is one of your pet subjects. Is it true this rise in interest in education probably started when one of your children reported on what a teacher had said about their father's business? That is your business, <laughs> yeah. that business being the red meat industry.
1: There's an element of that for, for, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's so no, what did your child say? Oh, that I was, just, you know, killing the planet type thing and animals were, you know, cattle were really bad and... And you were part of the problem sort of thing. And this was a message your child was getting yeah, at school. Yeah, That, that, would, that would fizz you up in a minute, wouldn't it? it a little bit, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and it's not just me. I hear that from a lot of people, that, that that's the sort of thing happening. And there's a lot to be said in this, in this space. But, you know, f- first thing is that food and fibre is in the curriculum today. So we're halfway there. That, that is a massive – most industries would love to have their industry in the curriculum. We've got it. We just need to get it taught, and um, so I, I'm less about trying to stop teachers saying, you know, these things, more about educating teachers and others about what what good looks like. Like, what are we saying? We're not. We're not. We need food. We need fibre. We can't do without that. So I think we've got to get past this fact that we're, you know, it's all bad. To saying, well, it's actually good. But let's. We got these challenges. It's actually so you know supporting the survival of our of our race so we got to have it so how do we just do it better so come together as opposed to be so divisive come together and that's got to be in the in education because everyone funnels through there whether you're a lawyer doctor or a tradie or a meat worker or whatever you are you've all come through a schooling system it's in the curriculum today what and we're the second biggest industry in Australia if we unite not beef not goats not not re, Red meat, white meat, hot, fishery, for, together. We have to come together and solve this problem because a kid doesn't really care about what sector it is when they're young. You know, later in life that they'll, they'll make their decisions about where they want to end up. But when you're in year one and year two and year three, it's just the education of the overall industry. And the great thing about agriculture or food and fibre industry is they love it. You take a kid out west or show them what we do, that absolutely fascinated and i'm talking about a meatworks as well i've had my four-year-old three-year-old through the facility had to pick him up to see through over the viewing area because he wasn't tall enough and they came away still eating meat and and quite interested so i think we think we can't expose them to any of that but actually when they used to grow up on a property, they saw all of it for a start. Yes. They're very resilient, you know, and, and as long as it's done in the right way, um, I think absolutely exposing kids to what we do is important.
0: So people, especially children, need to know and importantly understand food and the food and fibre supply chains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and look, there are people doing it really well and where, in education and where it's being done well... There's um there's some real success stories, and I, I've used Barker College as one example. It's a it's an urban school out in Sydney, made up of urban kids, and they've got more graduates coming out of that program than any other school in Australia, and they have a 95 percent parent satisfaction rating, and it's higher than any other subject in that school. Because they have a focus on food and fibre. Yeah, and that but what he sort of Scott Graham, who's a who's an urban guy that's gone into you know agriculture education he, he talks about how he does it from the, you know not paddock to plate but from plate to paddock he, ta- he, he introduces the honey or the coffee or the steak the things that kids know and then he slowly works his way back and uh, it's very successful uh, can i just pass on
0: to you the xander mcdonald award winner this year is a graduate of barker school yes and he was a
1: an urban cowboy. He said. There you go. And there's he's the, turned
0: into a bush rooster and the yep. Zander Award winner.
1: Yep. Martin and that, that. and that's a really good point because there's as many there's as many jobs in 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 cities as there are in regions for for in agriculture, and there's as many jobs off the tools as on the tools, and we need all of that. I get a chat
0: from my country friends that they have an impression of an anti-farming sentiment in the big cities.
1: Are they overreacting, or do you see this at all? No, oh, it's it's there, it is it's, well. uh, and it's more a naïve, in my view. It's it's a misinformation and naivety, and again, that starts with school. So, if you had, if we get really good at food and fibre education, and every year through the one year one to year twelve, there's touch points right the way through. I believe, and seeing what I see, and we, what we see when we go out there, if if they've had that exposure, they'll be far less likely to be so negative about it because they'll have actually un- understood the basics. Even if they end up as a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher or whatever it is, they'll have had some exposure to to, to agric- food and fibre.
0: And, and you're also involved in a mentoring program. as this sort of uh, across the boundaries here with your mentoring and your desire for education?
1: Yep. So I'm a mentor for a, a fellow by the name of uh, Xavier McCluskey who works at, down at Tamworth for um, Woolworths, a uh, great young... We've only just started, so I've literally got off the phone to him today. But we've only just started, so there's an interesting project that we're working on. Um, that he'll be involved with, and not it's not just my, my mentorship, but he'll have exposure to a whole lot of great people that are a part of this project that he'll learn from as well. And, so, and that's through
0: agriculture, isn't it? A lot of people like yourself, senior people, experienced people, are giving their thoughts and processes yep. to, to yep. Uh, the up and comers. That's it, yep, yeah. Anthony, your grandfather, and I have to say, I was very proud to know him when he when I was a younger man. Your grandfather was a politician. Do You any ambitions here?
1: Absolutely none. None. Absolutely none. Kerry, no, 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 that's not my bag, mate. I I don't think I'd go, I I speak my mind too much to to <laughs> to get anywhere near that space. No, you wouldn't go far at all if that no. was the case. Now, uh, what about agri politics? Oh no! Look, I'm I, I like the cut and thrust, I suppose, of business and the strategy and building things and, you know, that's more where I'd like to be. Where do you want to see uh, Australian Country Choice in, say, five years? Well, in five years, really a a stable business, you know, with the new customer mix and whatnot and then branching out into these other proteins. I'd like to see us multi-species multi in Australia but also a, a global footprint as well I think that the next natural hedge I see is northern southern hemisphere you know you've got El Nino down in in the south and you've got La Nina in the north so there's you know all those things and if um, biosecurity issues come into Australia you've got other other countries in which you're operating in so you know just evolving over time. Anthony Lee, CEO of Australian Country Choice, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the grill for Beef Central. Thank you indeed. You're most welcome. Great to chat to you, Kerry.
0: And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Reinergard by Zoetis.